0: You're listening to Geek Cred, featuring Ron Richards from Image Comics. Hello, Internet. I'm Steve Rickyberg and welcome to Geek Cred, the podcast that delivers in-depth behind-the-scenes interviews about everything geek. On this episode, I am pleased to introduce Ron Richards. Welcome to Geek Cred. Thanks for having me. So Ron, tell me a little bit about yourself and about your background. What is the origin story of Ron Richards? (laughs)
1: uh, I don't know if we have enough time. But uh, yeah, just in a nutshell, uh, I'm the director of business development over at Image Comics. And before that, I was one of the co-founders of ifanboy.com, which is a, well, I still am a co-founder of ifanboy.com. I just don't work with them anymore. Um, But that's a website all dedicated to comics and celebrating comics and that sort of thing. Um, And in addition to all that, I've uh, had a career in the technology industry where I also uh, host a podcast called All About Android for the Twit Network. Uh, So I keep my, you know, kind of one foot in the tech world. And primarily, uh, my, my days are filled with comic books, which is a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice gig.
0: <laughs> I, I'm sure many people would agree with that statement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how exactly did you get into comics?
1: How I got into comics? Well, so long story short, um, I'd always had comics around, you know, like I'd gotten them as kids. I remember I got in in like second or third grade at a birthday party. I got a uh, a issue of GI Joe, one of the old Larry Hama GI Joes, in a goodie bag, and I just read that thing till it fell apart. But uh, really, what got me into comics as a collector wasn't until. Sixth grade, yeah, it was sixth grade, and I was sitting in a home economics class, and uh, a kid named Eric was sitting next to me, and he was doing that thing where he was leaning his notebook in his lap, so to the teacher it looked like he was taking <laughs> notes, but inside the notebook was a comic book, and uh, it was actually uh, an issue of Excalibur. It was Excalibur number nineteen, um, and I looked over, I looked over his shoulder. I was like, "What is that?" And he explained to me who, what Excalibur was, who the X Men were, and I knew about you know Spider Man and Cap- and Captain America and all the kind of Marvel mainstays. And I knew about Superman and Batman over in DC, but I didn't know anything about the X Men. I didn't even know they mm. existed, and it just seemed like this most you know amazing kind of exciting world. So I just ran right down to the the local uh, drugstore and the spinner rack and I bought that issue of Excalibur, and then I also bought an issue of uh, Wolverine, um, and went ran home, read them, went back to the store and bought Uncanny X Men two sixty nine ran home, read that. Then the next day, went back to the store and I'd pretty much made my way through every comic in the spinner rack. And I asked the guy, I'm like, where, when do you get more comics? And he's like, I don't know, in a month. And I was just like, that's, that's too long. And so, no. I mean, yeah, exactly. So I made my, my mother drive me to the local comic <laughs> store and then I started back issue diving and catching up. And then it's been off to the races ever since, so.
0: So this was kind of a, a love that started well into your youth then.
1: uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I was, you know, preteen, you know so it was right before i kind of discovered you know girls and good music and stuff like <laughs> that so so it got me at the right time if it was any i feel like if it was any earlier i wouldn't have been old enough to get the sequential art aspect of it as well as the serialized storytelling aspect of it mm-hmm. But then, if it got me any later, I just would have been spending my money on on the aforementioned girls and music. So, um, <laughs> which you know, at, through the years, like I didn't always collect. You know, from sixth grade straight, like I stopped in. I think I stopped in seventh grade um, because I just didn't have enough money. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. working yet; I was a kid. And then I didn't collect for like a year, and was actually discovering Image Comics, ironically enough. Now, in my huh. later in my life, discovering Image that got me back into comics. Um, It was right after the image boom happened, and I got all on board with them, and that was just amazing because they were printed on nice paper, and there was a different logo on the cover, and they just looked amazing, and then I collected until college, and then I was a freshman who was making no money, and so I'm like, all right, I can't afford to have comics, and I think I lasted about three months before I broke (laughs) down. And um, that was actually what got me back in then was uh, Grant Morrison on, uh, on JLA. Um, a friend of mine had bought the first issue of JLA and is like, dude, this is, this is amazing. And so I bought the second issue and it blew my mind and that actually got me reading DC Comics as well. So. Mm. And it's been nonstop ever since. So that was, I was 18, so I'm 35 now. So <laughs> nearly, nearly 20 years of being, uh, uh, collecting straight. So,
0: yeah. So tell me about the creation and growth of iFanboy.
1: Well, yeah. So that was just a story of, you know, kind of, you know, similar to, you know, any sort of uh, entrepreneurial kind of endeavor. There was a a void in comic book websites that me and my friends felt and we decided to fill it. We had uh, me and two of my closest friends went to college together, and us uh, and a bunch of other guys were kind of like, we had this little comic book clique in college where everybody collected comics and we'd talk about them and things like that. And we all graduated and we went our separate ways. And uh, this is the late 90s, so the internet was still kind of nascent. And everybody, you know, everybody's had email for a few years, they're feeling comfortable with that. And so what we did was we started like an email group where like every week, you know, comic books come out on Wednesdays. And so every week after, like from between Wednesday and Friday, you would email this email group and, and we'd write these little kind of mini reviews like, okay, I bought mm-hmm. Uncanny X-Men and this is what I thought of it. And I bought Superman and this is what I thought of it. And at the same time, I was starting my career in technology. I was working at an interactive agency during the dot-com boom. And I was just bored. I was, you know, in a new city in a you know, one bedroom apartment by myself. I only knew my coworkers. I didn't have many friends. And I was just like, well, you know, I'm doing this web stuff. I, I would love to make a website. What can I make a website of? Oh, well, I've got these friends who are talking about comics over email. What if I made it a website so that we could talk about comics on the web instead mm. of over email? And so I pitched it to two of my friends, and I'm like, I'll need some help. Do you guys want to help me? And they're like, yeah, sure. So um, I got a developer friend of mine, and we just we built iFanboy from scratch. It was uh, the year 2000 when we worked on it, and it launched in January 2001. Now, so keep in mind, January 2001, uh, the website launched, iFanboy, you were able to, it was basically a blog before blogs existed, like blog style. Ripped off a lot from Slashdot for all those old nerds out there. That's I was a big Slashdot that. Exactly. <laughs> so ripped a lot off from Slashdot. But also what I added into it was every user could create an account. Hmm. You could log in and then you had a page that was your page and you could customize it and edit it as you saw fit. And then you could connect to other users and say, these are my friends and you could interact with them. So in two thousand one, I basically invented Facebook. <laughs> yeah, this is I'm <laughs> saying this is well before Friendster, oh, Facebook, yeah, this, it, MySpace. It was about maybe six to eight months before Friendster, mm. just to give the the time frame there. Like Friendster was two thousand two. Yeah, so I guess really it was about a year year before Friendster. Didn't know what I had. Totally didn't you know? Didn't know what it was. And then also at the same time, those friends on that email group, um, we said, okay guys, you know we're gonna kill this email thread. Come over to the website and we'll talk about it there. And nobody came. Aside <laughs> so from me and my two of my friends, oh, that was it. And it was those are the dark times. We actually we had a bunch of fake accounts. So we would do a post, and then I would log out log in as a fake account and write like an arguing opinion, <laughs> and then like so we had all these just keeping ourselves entertained. Nobody came to the site; we got no traffic, you know. But then slowly it built, and slowly we would get some more different users who weren't our fake accounts. And we actually had one user; his his handle was the Duda Bides, and he was a kid in Florida who like every article we posted, he commented on. And like, and we talk about how it was his favorite website, and he loved us, and and so whenever we thought about stopping doing the the site, mm. we'd be like, oh, but we can't let the dude down. So, which is, I'm glad we did because uh, then several years later, we had a server crash, and we threw out the whole social network thing, and uh, basically relaunched it as a blog, or just relaunched it with mov- Movable Type because the crash happened like a week before the San Diego Comic Con, which is like the Super Bowl. Ooh, of that's like yeah, the exactly. worst timing. Yeah. And then what happened was the site crashed and I couldn't get a hold of my developer. He just went MIA. And so, as opposed to fixing it, I'm like, all right, I'll just relaunch it under movable type. And I got that done. And like I stayed up like three nights in a row and got it all done. So, say Levy. Um, <laughs> so, we were married to the blog format. And then um and then in 05, uh podcast started and I started listening to um, I was a big fan of, of tech TV and I watched the screensavers like like a lot of other people mm-hmm. did. As as I did. Yep, exactly. And so you can relate. So after tech T V ended, I kind of followed Kevin and Leo to twit and Dignation. Right. And discovered podcasts from there. And then it was the same situation as the website where I was, you know, bored and I was just like, Well, I want to do a podcast. I want to figure this out. What can I talk about? Oh, I've got this comic book website. So I drafted my two best friends again who I did the site with, and I was like, Hey, we're gonna jump on Skype and we're just gonna talk about comics for a half an hour, and then I'm gonna release a podcast. And they were just they had no idea what it was. <laughs> and so they kinda of went with it. And if you go back and listen to iFanboy's first episode, you could tell we have no idea what we're doing. Um, I, I don't think anyone really knew what they were doing back then. Uh, yeah, no, nobody (laughs) had any clue. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, what I did was I completely, as we evolved our format, I completely ripped off, um, Tom Merritt and Buzz Out Loud on CNET. I just, I wholesale ripped off their format, um, where I was like, okay, there's gonna be an intro. We're going to talk about a main thing. Then we'll talk about some more things and we'll take emails, we'll take voicemails and then we're out. And like, and so my buddies who didn't listen to Buzz Out Loud, they were just like, okay, sure. And so luckily no, there wasn't a lot of tech comics crossover yet. So nobody picked up (laughs) on it. but um. So we did that, and it turned out to be one of the best um, marketing things that I ever came up with that was mm. uh, completely unintended. But uh, what happened was that so that was in o five. And then six months later, Apple added podcasts to iPods and to iTunes. And people started you know checking out podcasts. and then we got promoted on the iTunes Store. And then it blew up, and so people would listen to the podcast, and they would hear us plug the website, so they just went to the website, and then the website traffic increased, and more people started listening to podcasts. Word of mouth spread. Next thing I know, we're the number one podcast on iTunes, and we're dealing with so much traffic, I have to change servers, and and next thing I know, now we're one of the top uh, comics websites out mm-hmm. there. So uh, it's definitely been a long, fun road uh, over yep. ten years of working on it, and eventually it led to me getting a job at Image, so which is a pretty good situation for me at least. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely want to touch on that in just a moment. But I I found it interesting in doing my research that even before I fanboy, you actually published a, a music zine when you were in college.
1: I did. I did. Yeah. So that was another case of, I get bored. This is, this is a pattern in my life. I I, 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 I think I
0: that's the way it is with a lot of creative people. I'm bored. Okay, let's go make something.
1: Yeah, exactly. And basically what happened with me was I was very into music. Um, I grew up in the hardcore punk scene in, in on Long Island in New York and all my friends were in bands and stuff like that. And, and I can't play music. I have no rhythm. I can't dance. I can't sing. I can't, you know, I tried playing guitar. I tried mm. playing drums. I just couldn't do it, but I really wanted to be involved. And what's great about the punk scene is that there's this there, or at least there used to be this vibrant zine scene where people just, you know, would make zines and they'd interview bands and review records and they became kind of this local document for different scenes around the country. There was, you know, Maximum Rock and Roll in San Francisco and Punk Planet in Chicago and, you know, um, Heart Attack in Goleta and Jersey Beat New Jersey and, you know, there's, so all these great kind of zines popping up and it not only gave you a way to spread the word about music but also to kind of be in touch with other people in other cities. This is before the internet or yeah. the, the internet's being born. So there I am at college and at the time I was straight edge and I was so I spent a lot of time in my dorm room reading comics and just playing video games. And I was just like, you know, I really want to be involved in the scene, but I, you know, so let me make a zine. I have, I have the tools. I have, you know, I have PageMaker on my computer and, and I have the means. And so um, – We have the technology. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, so me and a, another friend of mine started Muddle, it was called, um, M-U-D-D-L-E. I'm horrible at naming things, as you notice, between Muddle and fanboy. <laughs> I just – I pick horrible names that haunt me. But yeah, and so we when we started it was a 32 page kind of crappy newsprint uh, zine and when we ended in '02, we were doing you know like 150 to 200 pages full color wow. cover distributed by Tower Records Barnes & Noble borders like yeah it became a pretty nice business um, and but ultimately you know life got in the way mm-hmm. and I got a real job and and my friend moved and it was just it just became harder to do and so I kind of said goodbye to that and I focused on my fanboy so, yeah, so, I mean, if, if anything, the themes kind of in what I've been doing is getting bored and creating <laughs> content. I love creating content. I love being a part of that kind of a bunch of people coming together to create something and, interest, mm-hmm. you know, create something for the world to enjoy. So.
0: So did you always want to get into the comics industry or is this just kind of being at the right place at the right time? Tell me about your journey and how you went from being, you know, a fan to being an industry insider with Image Comics.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I never intended to work in comics. Uh, similar to music, I can't draw and I can't write. I, I, I have an imagination, but not the kind of imagination that um, creates stories and that sort right. of thing. You know, um, I you. and I, and Lord knows I've tried. I tried to write. I tried in college. I was taking English classes, and you know. But so yeah. So I never really aspired to work in comics. And there was a moment, like in '01 or '02, when I was early in my professional career. I'm like, oh, I could work in comics, and you know, like I could be an editor, or I could work in marketing, or something like that. And I had talked to a couple of people at Marvel in DC, and just got a real bad taste for it. Mm. You know, like they were very unapproachable, and it just seemed very kind of like impossible to do. And you had to know somebody, and all this sort of thing. This is before I fanboy had any access or anything like that. It was I was totally, you know, 22 year old kid walking around a comic convention asking, hey, how do I get a job in marketing? You know, like it, and it just, you know, it. I didn't know enough and I didn't understand the industry enough at the time to go down that route. And so start doing iFanboy and then through doing iFanboy, we made a lot of contacts You know, we met a lot of creators, you know, because we're interviewing them and we're going to the conventions and we're, you know, we would do video interviews and release our video show on YouTube and things like that. Well, before everyone was doing that, you know, we were doing that back in 07, um, 06 and 07. So we're really kind of, you know, Fanboy was really kind of pioneers, at least in the comic space in terms Mm -hmm. of using media to get the word out. But in doing that, made a lot of contacts to the publishers and things like that. And I'd actually never even considered working at for a publisher because it just seems like a really hard job. It does. I mean, (laughs) you think about it.
0: The fun stuff has to be the writing and the, and the art. But when you're in the business side of comics, it's just, you have to make money. I mean, come on, who does that? (laughs) <laughs> yes,
1: it's, it's, it's tough, but it's a shrinking market, and it's an uphill battle in terms of sales and things like that. And So I just never really considered it. So I was kind of very content to be like, okay, I found this place for me in the comic book world, and it's on the media side. I am a pundit. I'm an entertainer. I, you know, sometimes journalist, although not. I don't like to use that term for what I did at I fanboy because there's no real journalism in comics because it's all very much orchestrated by the PR departments of the comic companies. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was very content to that, and it wasn't until um, Eric Stevenson, the publisher of Image Comics, approached me about going, hey, you ever think about coming to work here? And then it was from there where we kind of had conversations and he explained to me what their needs were and the kind of person they were looking to help them. They had just Image Comics, for those who don't know, Image Comics is the number three publisher in comic books. You've probably heard of them because they, well, no, you've probably heard of one of the comics they publish. It's, it's a little comic called The Walking Dead. Well, uh, just, which
0: Just a little niche comic. It's a little,
1: yeah, it's a little indie comics. It's a little black and white indie comic, that's all. But, um, <laughs> which has grown to be one of the biggest properties around with, with the TV show and all the fun stuff, uh, with the video games and the, that stuff. But Image is Been around for 20 years and they're the number three publisher of comics. So you've got Marvel, you got DC, and then you got Image. And Image also was one of my favorite publishers growing up, and I was kind of a fan of Image, and so just you know immediately the idea that the guy who runs the company is asking if I ever thought about working there, I had to kind of stop and breathe and go okay, right, I'm yeah. Like. But then my my initial reaction was to laugh because I was like, no, there's not, there's nothing for me there to do. I'm like, you're you know like it's a very creative based type thing, and they had come off one of their best years in their history. It was their 20th anniversary, and there was this explosion of uh, new titles, new creators, just uh, a lot of new stuff going on there, and there was a lot of energy and a lot of heat there. And I'd known this. And so we had met in late 2012. And so it's after they had this great year and they were doing really well for themselves. Walking Dead is hitting on all cylinders, and a new comic called Saga that they released is is doing really well. And so I was kind of like, well, you know, you're already doing well. You're probably content where you're at. And he said to me, "No, actually, the opposite. He's like, last year was great, but we need to do better. We need to grow more. We need to we need to continue this momentum. And I need somebody to help me do that. And so um, it was that kind of desire to not sit back on their laurels that really attracted me to to consider the gig. Mm. And then after a lot of hemming and hawing and talking to the guys over at, at F Fanboy, who are like my brothers and like my best friends, ultimately, um, you know, kind of came to the conclusion that like, hey, this is my shot. Because you know, if Marvel came calling or DC came calling, I can't say that I would." of jumped as i did with image um because part of it is that you know marvel and dc are both you know kind of corporate entities They're right. owned by disney and warner brothers uh, respectively i have a lot of friends who work at marvel and dc i, I have a sense of how their, their organizations work and i'm not quite sure that someone with my talents would be suited to work in that environment whereas image comics is you know located in berkeley even though they're the number three publisher they're still somewhat small you know, there's about 50 people in the office there turning out the comics every week. So it's a lean team. And it, it to me, it felt a lot like an entrepreneurial hmm. startup environment, which is where I've been working uh, by day and uh, living in San Francisco for the past six years. So um, I said, you know, it feels right. It feels like this is somewhere where I can come in and, and innovate a little and take some risks and, and not deal with a bunch of bureaucracy. And so let me give it a shot. So, you, you know, you only live once. And so I, I, I made the jump.
0: Yeah, I guess that's a really good point. It seems like a no-brainer probably to some fans listening that are way into comics, but it's beyond just are you a fan of the work is do you fit in with the culture?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly, cuz you know cuz I've like I said I had friends at Marvel and DC and I kind of know how it works and you know I've worked at corporate environment before. I worked for 7 years for a hotel corporation um, running their websites in the early 2000s, mid 2000s and that was great. It had a lot of perks. And there are a lot of good things for working in a big organization like that. You get you've got budgets, and you have expense accounts and you can actually, you know, you can hire people and things like that. These wonderful things like that. But, you know, then you you're subject to a leadership chain or a communication chain where there's you know f- six people above you and you've got to get your manager and then your manager's manager and then your manager's VP and then your manager's yeah. VP's SVP and then you know all this kind of thing and what really frustrated me when working in those environments was that I'd be in a meeting you know going over like a website design with the CEO of the company you know I'm working for this Fortune 100 company millions of do- millions and billions of dollars and we got this great website design and he sits there and he nods and he goes yeah why'd you go with blue I just exhaled. I'm like, really? Like, this is what we're talking about about the use of blue. And turns (laughs) out he really likes gold and silvers. And so maybe we can go back and put gold and silver into it. And that's when I was like, you know, Uh... this. Yeah. Let me go somewhere where I can get something done. So. But yeah, so that's what made me kind of form my you know kind of uh, beliefs around where I want to work and the kind of environment I want to be in. Mm -hmm. So what exactly is? director
0: of business development. What does that title mean <laughs> for what you do at image? <laughs> <laughs> the
1: titles kind of, it's a little, it's a little official. So yeah, no, I mean, it's mainly, it's kind of a catch all. Um, mainly mm. I'm just working on anything business related within the company. Anything that drives revenue for the company is kind of coming across my desk. So one of the main things I work with is basically what, what for all intents and purposes is called sales but it's a, the way the comics works is different. I'm not like, you know, going Larry, Glenn Ross, you know, trying to get leads and make the sale, but rather I work very closely with uh, images distributor, uh, Diamond Comics, who distribute all the comic books to the comic book stores as well as Amazon and Barnes and Noble and things like that. So I work with them to make sure our products are being you know displayed correctly and organized correctly and, and presented to the people who buy the comics correctly, and then as well as I'm kind of the point person for those clients, whether it's a comic book store or it's Amazon, to make sure They're getting what they need from Image in terms of information and and giving them ammo to help them sell the comics. So that's one big piece of it. Uh, Another piece of it is just general marketing strategy. I work very closely with uh, our publisher um, as well as our head of marketing and PR. And we kind of, as a team, we kind of go through our various titles and how are we positioning them, how are we going to market them. And then also somewhat involved in the creative side and like, okay, is this something we want to publish, something we want to continue to publish? You know all that stuff is ultimately at the final uh, say of Eric Stevenson, the publisher. Mm-hmm. But you know he's very open and he, you know asks everybody in the office kind of what they think of things, and it's kind of you know very open to getting feedback and making sure that all the comics that image is publishing are stuff that we can all get behind. So in addition to that, I also uh, manage uh, images digital initiatives, so any sort of digital comics, whether it's on Comixology or iBooks or Amazon or or iVerse or all the other kind of uh, options out there are all kind of managed by myself. And then I also do – I'm also looking over all the web presence and all that sort of stuff for Image. And then on top of that, ad sales and any sort of uh, partnerships or business development opportunities that come up, um, I kind of handle. So pretty much you know, I'm right there on the front line when it comes to the business side of the the business.
0: so. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you're kind of the head at digital there at Image Comics. In your mind, how is the digital revolution kind of transforming how people read and consume comics?
1: Um, well, it's really interesting. I mean, I don't know if it's a. I don't know if it, if digital is a revolution, mm. and two, I don't know if it's transforming how people read comics at all. The way I look at it is, is that uh, digital is just another sales channel. So there was a lot of concern over, you know, digital comics will they're going to drive the comic book stores out of business and. You know, we're not going to have print comics anymore. It's always going to be all digital and all the, you know, and everything we know the sky is the sky's falling. And and that's not the case. What happens is, is that there are people who want to read digital comics, and now they can. There are people who want to go to their comic book store every Wednesday and buy the issues, the single issue kind of twenty-page comic books every week that come out, and they can. They're the people who want to buy the trade paperbacks or hardcover books and get them at Amazon or get them at Barnes & Noble or their local bookstore or even their comic book store, and they can. Um, we have multiple formats, and digital is just one of them. We've seen in our data that uh, a lot of people are double and triple dipping. They're buying the digital issue on on their iPad so they can read it on their commute and then they go to their comic book store and buy their issues that they collect. And then when the comic gets collected into a hardcover, an oversized hardcover, they buy that. You know, it's not really hurting things. In fact, we've got data that proves that digital is growing at a similar pace as to print, and it is not uh, cannibalizing from print. Mm-hmm. So if anything, like I said, it just, it's, it's maturing and just becoming another platform.
0: Yeah, I mean, what I find really great about it is you you have that instant gratification, you know, on your on your tablet or whatever, you go to comixology or iBooks or whatever and you you can buy it, you can read it, but then you can buy, you know, the trade of it and have it on your shelf and show it off to your friends and stuff like that.
1: Yep, exactly, exactly. So really, it's just a matter of it behooves us as a publisher to be able to get comics on every potential platform where people want to read comics. So if it's a storefront, if it's a digital solution, if it's some other way, if there's some other way that we don't know about yet, that's not invented, I want to make sure that I can get comics on it. And so that's part of the puzzle, and a lot of it is that you know there are people out there who who don't even know comic book stores still exist, and yet they go to <laughs> I, they'll go to iBooks and they'll discover comics there. And so yeah, so it's there are a bunch of different opportunities to grab and, and grow audience, and digital is just one of them.
0: Now I, I've got a confession to make. Some who listen might demand I turn in my uh, geek card, but. I've never been heavily into comics. It's just not something I grew up with. So what do you say to someone like myself who might be interested in comics but might be intimidated by all the varying continuities that are out there for some stories or just doesn't gravitate toward the more stereotypical superhero stories we're familiar with?
1: Well, the fir- the first thing I would say is that don't worry about turning your geek card. We all we all <laughs> define our geekdom in our own way. You know, we're all ge- you know like I don't watch Doctor Who. There's my confession. <gasps> yeah, I know. See, yeah, something <laughs> in there when you hear I don't watch Doctor Who. Yeah, it just doesn't do it for me. What can you do? But yeah, so that's the first thing is that don't worry about that. But then the second thing is to know that a lot of people um, have a preconceived notion about comic books that are, are all superhero comics, or what we call mm-hmm. uh, capes and cowls. Right. And people being somewhat, even though there are some immensely modern and mature stories being told in the pages of those superhero comics, you know, some people have a negative connotation That's so, oh, it's for kids, or I'm not really into superheroes, and that sort of thing. So I guess the thing that I would say is that there are comics for every genre that you might be interested in. So what I often do is when I talk to people who are, who are you know, curious about comics but not really into it, I try to ask them what kind of movies and TV shows do you watch? What kind of books do you read? To get a sense of the kind of stories they like. Because that's all comics are. They're just another way to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And you know, so someone tells me they're really into crime. Then I've got a whole list of comics I can suggest there. If they're really into science fiction, there's a whole list of comics to suggest there. They're into history, a whole bunch of comics. They're into sports. Pretty much any genre out there, I can name a comic that will connect with somebody a fan of that genre. Mm. So I I don't don't know what genres you're a fan of, but I'm sure I could find one for you. (laughs)
0: Um, You mentioned uh, TV. One of the trends I find pretty interesting is just seeing the medium used to continue canceled yet cult beloved television series. And in doing so more than just kind of licensed money grab tie-ins, which I think we've seen in the past, but series that are actually canon endorsed by the creators like, you know, Buffy the Vampire
1: Slayer, Jericho and, and others. Yeah. You know, we hear the stories about how much it costs to actually, you know, make a TV show. And it's a right. very difficult endeavor, you know, millions of dollars. A show like Buffy that ran eight seasons or seven seasons or whatever on TV, you know, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of the, you know, the actors get tired of playing the characters and that sort of thing. So when the TV show ends, there's still rabid fans out there. And so they can still continue on. And whether it's in the comics like Buffy or Smallville over at DC, or they can continue the story and really the budget is much lower than actually making the TV show. Yeah. I read Buffy every every month when it comes out. It's on season nine now. It's great. It feels like the show didn't have to end. Mm. Um, and I would love to see more of those, you know, kind of great kind of properties that we know and love kind of get the comics treatment. But at the same time also, it works in the other direction in that, you know, like The Walking Dead is a great example. That's a comic right, book yeah. that, you know, was out for 70 or so issues before the TV show even started. There's a whole world of The Walking Dead that exists that many people who watch the TV show don't even know about. Mm -hmm, mm So, yeah, it's it's, it's very interesting. So,
0: So more kind of in the realm of adaptations, I guess. I mean, it's kind of hard to avoid Hollywood's kind of fascination, I guess, with comic books, which is, you know, great when you look at Marvel and the Avengers, but at the same time, you've got huge flops like uh, Green Lantern.
1: Well, I don't know if it was a huge flop. It was a, it was a flop by our standards, but it made it made Fair a lot enough. of money. I, I, <laughs> I guess a
0: critical flop, as far as the fans are concerned.
1: Correct. Yeah. The thing is that Hollywood has picked up on the fact that I don't know if it's if it's a matter of the fact that they've they've realized that there are these great stories and these great properties that they can develop into, or the fact that we have a generation of people who grew up on these properties, yeah. and that now they're in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, and they have disposable income, and they have, you know, they go to the movies, they buy the video games, and it's just a matter of it happening all at the right time. And honestly, it's not going anywhere. Um, you know, I've seen the the slate or the plan for Marvel. Um, Marvel's going to be making those movies for at least till 2020. Yeah. And depending on how Superman does this year, which I think probably will do better than people think, Star Trek is vibrant again. I mean, I think it's, it's really, you know, for us geeky kind of people, it's kind of like this is like a... Uh, Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? This is almost like Camelot. This is like (laughs) our time in the sun. It's a great time to be
0: a fan, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a perfect segue, actually. Conventions are a huge part of fandom in general, not just comics. But, for example, San Diego Comic-Con has experienced massive growth. Saying that is really a huge understatement. But really seems to have kind of marginalized comics and is now dominated by Hollywood. So is Comic-Con still necessarily about comics anymore?
1: I would disagree with the belief that is that Comic-Con has become this kind of Hollywood kind of thing, and it's all movies and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, don't get me wrong. There are 200,000 people that descend on San Diego over a mm-hmm. five-day uh, span. If you're not a person who likes crowds, it is not the place to be. Uh, So put that there. And they're in costumes, and it's hot, and everyone's sweaty, and people smell and all this stuff. But I argue that if you're a comic fan, there is no better place in the world than Comic-Con because, number Mm. one, you're surrounded by – you're at the – like I call it the Super Bowl of comics. You're the Super Bowl of geekdom. You're at the heart of it all. But then what's great is that of those 200,000 people – the comic section is vibrant, and if you walk the floor of Comic Con and you go through, there's all the dealers and the toy dealers, and there's the there's the movies and and all that stuff. You get to the comic section, and it becomes this almost like you know you, I start hearing angels sing, and it's like this utopia <laughs> of like this wonderful, and all your favorite publishers are there, and all your favorite creators are there, and you know if you're a big fan of the X Men, you can just walk up to the writer and say hello and tell him how much you like it. If you like Batman, you just walk up to the artist and tell him how much of a fan you are, and maybe he'll do a sketch for you. And it's just you know it's a A once in a lifetime event that I recommend to any comic book fan or geek fan to go to at least once Mm -hmm. because it's kind of like just like you got to go to Disney Disney World you just got to go you got to see what it's like you got to see the spectacle once Mm -hmm. and it really is a great place for comic fans you got to know where to look you got to know where to find it though that's the thing is that it's whereas it used to be the only thing at Comic Con. Now you got to seek it out. And even as I say that, I realize, you know, I I said, you know, it used to be the only thing at Comic Con was comics. That's not even true, too. The first marketing effort for Star Wars in the 70s before the movie opened was they went to Comic Con. Hmm. So, I mean, it's all there's all that aspect has always been there um it's just and again like defining your geekdom you know you go to comic-con and you, you define your experience you make your own time you know whether you're going to the one in san diego or the one in new york or the one in chicago is coming up you go and you can you define your experience and how much fun you can have so uh, i i strongly recommend everybody go at least once mm-hmm. so in a nutshell don't let all the other influences
0: scare you away especially if you're yeah. just looking for comics
1: yeah and exactly and and if you're going to san diego you know like Good chance if you're into comics, you're also into Buffy or you're also exactly. into Doctor Who yep. or you're also into stuff like that. And you know, there's a good chance that you might be going to you might be in a Mexican restaurant and you might be in line to go to the bathroom and you realize Nathan Fillion is two people ahead of you. I actually had
0: something very similar happen to me at Dragon Con a couple of years ago. <laughs> so what comics do you get excited about? What are some of your favorites right now?
1: Well, I'll be a company man and I'll I'll uh, kind of praise some <laughs> of the stuff that we're doing in Image, which I which I was a fan of before I was company man. But um, of course, The Walking Dead continues to be great. Saga, which I mentioned earlier, is a fantastic science fiction romance book by Brian K. Vaughn with art by, uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn with art by Fiona Staples. Sci-fi is one of my, you know, like before I was a comic fan, I was a Star Trek and Star Wars fan. Mm -hmm. And so Saga really taps into that and really, you know, kind of expands that imagination of what science fiction could be. I'm also a big fan of uh, a book called The Manhattan Projects which is uh, written by Jonathan Hickman, uh, who's currently writing Avengers for Marvel. That's his like, big-time big gig. But mm-hmm. uh, Manhattan Project's his indie kind of creator-owned project with art by Nick Batara. And that's a great alternate history kind of story where basically it says, uh, you know, the Manhattan Project where they built the atomic bomb. Uh, what if that was just one project Hmm. Of a secret group called the Manhattan Project. Interesting. And they have um, uh, Oppenheimer and Einstein and Feynman and all these um, uh, legendary scientists under one roof, and they're all crazy and they're building time portals and teleportation and all these other crazy things, and they're fighting Russia, and it's just it has so much fun with history and science, um, and the design in the book is just amazing. So uh, that's a great book. There's another great book called Nowhere Men, uh, which is written by Image's publisher, Eric Stevenson, with art by Nate Belgard. That's another book that plays with science and the idea of, you know, kind of scientists as rock stars, um, which is a lot of fun. Um, now, that's Image. Uh, you know, I grew up a Marvel fan. Right. So over at Marvel, that was the, the kind of my first entrance into the comics, and that was, like I mentioned, the X-Men. So I'm a, a loyal reader of all the X-Men books. Uh, you know, Wolverine and the X-Men by Jason Aaron and various other artists um, is one of my favorites. Uh, All-New X-Men by Brian Michael Bendis is great. Uh, there are two kind of critical darlings over at Marvel, uh, Daredevil – you know, the, the guy in the red costume with the horns, the blind lawyer who also fights crime as Daredevil. Uh, that's been amazing, as well as a book, uh, Hawkeye, which if you saw the Avengers movie, there's the the guy with the bow and the arrow is right. Hawkeye. That recently got relaunched last year and is one of the best new comics on the stands right now. Hmm. And then over at DC, I don't read much DC, but um, what I do read is probably the best that they have over there, and that's the Batman series currently right now. Batman is probably w- w- the best that it's been in years, um, and it's written by Scott Snyder, with art by Greg Capullo, and it's kind of like, I'm not a Batman fan at all. In fact, I I will go as far to say that I don't really like Batman, Hmm. but uh, this comic's got me reading it on a monthly basis because it's just great. It's just top notch. So, yeah. That's a little range of the great comics that are out there. And of course, I should mention also, uh, I'm not a fan of it, but um, anybody who's a fan of the cartoon Adventure Time, Adventure, yeah, it's Adventure Time, right? Yeah. I want to say Adventureland, because I grew up on Long Island, there was a uh, amusement park called Land. <laughs> but um, Adventure Time, there's a great comic uh, that is the Adventure Time comic. It's published mm. by Boom Studios, um, and that's one of like the hottest comics right mm. now. Uh, it's got, uh, so everybody who enjoys that cartoon is eating that, eating that comic up, so... So
0: it's time for rapid fire. Reaction time is a factor here. So don't think too much. Answer with whatever comes to mind. Okay. Star Wars or Star Trek?
1: Oh, Star Wars by a thin line.
0: (laughs) Dark side or light side? Light side. Mac or PC? Uh, Mac. Robots, pirates, or zombies?
1: Uh, I'm going to go robots. Xbox, PlayStation, or PC gaming? uh xbox by a thread Uh, used to be pc games if you if you asked that question 10 years ago it would have been Mm. pc so
0: (laughs) if you could have a superpower what would it be and why
1: uh teleportation so i can get anywhere i want to be at the blink of an eye because i'm tired of having to wait six hours to be in new york city it, or as someone who lives in Los
0: Angeles area, I can totally identify with that. Hey, no yeah.
1: traffic. Woohoo!
0: Exactly. exactly, exactly. I can sleep in instead of getting up an hour early to, you know, fight rush hour.
1: Or hey, I can meet my friends who live on the east side for a drink when I'm already over here in Santa Monica. Exactly. Like just, yeah, Yeah, exactly. So.
0: so would you use it to fight for good or for your own ends?
1: Oh, for my own ends.
0: <laughs> Completely honest there. No oh, hesitation. Yeah.
1: No hesitation at all. <laughs>
0: What is your favorite science fiction curse word? Oh,
1: that's a good one. Oh, I don't even know. I don't know if I have a favorite science fiction curse word per se. There are phrases that I'll use a lot, you know, and now, of course, none of them are coming to mind. But yeah, no, I don't really have one specific, you know, pseudo curse word. I guess frack. I mean, that's the one everybody says. So, Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. So there you go. If someone were to write a book about you, what might
0: the title be? Jeez. (laughs) You don't have to be serious here.
1: Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. It's something self-deprecating. It's probably, you know, like the, you know, something about my sideburns and something about never shutting up. I don't know what it might be. All right, all right.
0: Well, that's it for rapid fire. Um, We're getting to the end of the show here, but what might be the geekiest thing you've ever
1: done? The geekiest thing I've ever done. That's a really good question. Um, I mean, the thing is, I geek out about, like, I don't geek out about the stuff that, the typical geek stuff. Um, so like, you know, I, and part of it is that I'm, I'm a little biased, I'm not biased, but a little, you know, uh, jaded because I've been doing iFanboy and I mm. work in the image and I've met so many people and I've interviewed people and I've, you know, I've interviewed Stan, I've had the honor of interviewing Stanley several times and, and building, you know, relationships with these people. So I don't really get kind of freaked out when meeting people or something like that. The, the celebrities kind of worn off. Yeah, yeah, and and mm. I've kind of grown out of the buying toys and doing all that sort of stuff. So I don't really like have like a wall of geeky like statues or things like that. But the thing now that I really geek out about, and the geekiest thing is is really music. Uh, music is is kind of my area that I geek out about. And um, there's w- one of my favorite uh, Britpop bands is a band called Suede, who was actually the first Britpop band I ever discovered when I was in high school. Uh, they reunited a couple years ago to play Coachella. And I never, I never want to go to Coachella standing in the desert and a festival just is like the worst idea <laughs> I have. So, but I'm sitting at home watching um, on YouTube, the, the people uploading the, the several hours after they, they finished playing, people start uploading their videos of them. And so I remember I'm sitting at home from my computer like, like two in the morning watching these videos of Suede play and I just think I'm like, oh, damn, they're really good. Oh, I wish I had gone. And then I went over to Suede's website and I saw that they had announced that they were going to play. They were reuniting. After, after the Coachella reunion, they were going to reunite in London to play three nights in London. And each night they were going to play the full album of their first three albums and at like two in the morning on a Saturday night, I bought a plane ticket to London. Nice. I booked a hotel room. It was a 36-hour trip. That is lived, commitment. I, yeah, I flew from San Francisco to London. I landed. I met went and met a couple of my friends at the pub, hung out, went to my hotel, crashed. The next day, woke up, bummed around London, went to the comic book stores with my friend, went to the show went back to my hotel, crashed, woke up, went right to the airport and flew back home. And it was like, and it was, and it sounds like two nights, but it was literally like no more than 36 hours. Like Mm -hmm. the way the time zones worked and everything like that. I just landed, went to the show and came back home. And it was like, talk about not seeing. And it was funny is I was actually worried about going through customs because that's the kind of trip that's a red flag. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, like in and out of the country real quickly. And sure enough, I go to customs and the guy says, what are you in the country for? I'm like, oh, I'm going to a concert. I'm going to, and he's like, oh, what band? I'm like, oh, I'm going to see Suede. And the guy lit up. He's like, they reunited? And I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. they're playing. It's like, oh, he's like, is it sold out? I'm like, I think it is. May, you know. And so luckily the guy let me in the country. But so that's the geekiest thing I ever did was I spent probably close to three grand to fly to London in the span of a day and a half to go see a band play for two hours. But it was totally worth it. And I would never, I don't regret it at all.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> All right, well, we are just about out of time, but where can people go to find more about you and everything you do?
1: Yeah, so if you want to find more of my blathering on, you can go to about.me slash ronxo, and that's got uh, kind of my About Me page, and it's got links to my Twitter, my Facebook, my Google+, as well as links to Image Comics, where you can check out all the great comics from Image Comics. And if you are into Android phones and the whole Android ecosystem, you can go to uh, twit.tv slash AAA, well, that's twit.tv slash AAA, And uh, there you check out All About Android, the show that I co-host every week uh, with uh, my my tech friends talking about Google and phones and apps and fun fun stuff like that.
0: Yep, something I wanted to touch on, but we just ran out of time, unfortunately. But thank you so much for talking with me, Ron. You've definitely got some geek cred. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that's going to just about do it for this episode. But if you've got any questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback, hey, make your voice heard. Call 818-925-4335 or email geekcred at geekcred.net. You can find the show notes and much more information, including Geek Cred on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and more. It's all over on the website at geekcred.net. For Ron Richards, I've been Steve Burke, but that's it for me. So until next time, geek on.